Well, let me take a swig of my Arnold Palmer before we get going. <laughs> this is a classy springtime gentleman. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, make yourselves comfortable. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is Mad About Movies. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to podcast for all things cinema. Every week, we discuss movie news, movie rumors, and movie rumblings, and break down a movie of the week. But don't worry if you haven't seen it, because we will warn you with a spoiler alert. And please stay tuned till the end of our show for weekly recommends, in which each of us suggests something that you need to check out as soon as you can. And remember, as always, you can find all of our episodes online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. This week's movie of the week is what, Brian Gill? This week we're going to be talking about X-Men Days of Future Past. Professor? You know, I find this hard to believe. I was sent here for you. From the future? 50 years from now. <laughs> Could you give me that one more time, please? Stay with me. In the beginning, the Sentinels were just targeting mutants. And they began targeting everyone. I've come a long way. To guide us, to bring us together. The X-Men. We need your help. Tell whoever it was that sent you that I'm busy. The person who sent me was you. Well, guys, uh, we are exactly two years from today from the release of X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> Jeez. Strange how that worked out, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it'll be good to talk about this uh, current X-Men movie, X-Men Days of Future Past, and uh, try to figure out where they're going to go from here, because there's definitely a lot to talk about after mm. this one. Uh, but today is not uh, just like any other week. It's a special week here on the podcast. We would like to welcome in, for the first time, our guest, professional Twitterer, joke teller, <laughs> author, philosopher, philanthropist. Uh, am I missing any, sir? No, I think my mom was just happy to hear professional tweeter. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Mr. Rob Fee. Woo! 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 Uh, for those of you who don't know Rob, how dare you if you don't? He is—he's uh, obviously uh, one of the most um, popular people on Twitter. Probably the funniest uh, human being on Twitter. Definitely worth a follow if you don't follow him already. Uh, I became aware of his work last football season. Uh, when he would bless the world each and every Sunday with um, a tweets called Eli Manning Dislikes. And probably the funniest thing I've, I've seen on Twitter and uh, us at the Cowboys when I was working with them last season would pass those around and just have a good laugh uh, over those. So thank you for sharing that uh, hatred towards uh, Eli. Uh, we appreciate that. No problem. I, my... Uh... In my heart, I hope that he's seeing them. I hope that... Some- <laughs> oh, he is. You know he is. <laughs> that he has to have. Like, at some point, he got on to check and see, yeah. you know, what his, I don't know, stats were or something. <laughs> Typed in his name. It popped up, you know, that he caused chocolate milk, you know, brown cow spit or something. And then he just was like, <laughs> why would anyone say this? That's, that's what I hope. 
I like to think that Peyton copies and sends them to him. Just text him right before the game. Here, uh, here's are your dislikes, Eli. <laughs> That's even better. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, it's good to have you on. Um, Richard read your book um, mm-hmm. this past um, a few weeks ago, a month ago, and was sending us quotes from it through text message. Mm-hmm. And we were all having a good laugh on that. So, oh, I appreciate it. Really excited to have you on. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, other than you know, do awesome tweets. Uh, I write a little bit. I, I work for the Ellen Show. Um, I write for, I don't know if you've ever seen the Epic Mealtime, but I write. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I write their scripts. And um, a few stuff here and there, M- uh, MTV, FX, CBS, just whoever pays me money. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. I had no idea you were involved in Epic Mealtime. I can't tell you how many... Uh, like watch fests my roommate and I would have just watching like 50, 50 of those in a row. Oh, really? Yeah. Man, st- that is so funny. I started doing all the jokes for them about, uh, about a year ago. And yeah. like they've been buddies of mine for a while. But yeah, they're great. Man, yeah, awesome stuff. I would recommend that too, uh, to, to our listeners. And Rob, I have to commend you. I have to commend you on your just excessive and, and important, I think, academic uh, work on, on, on the Home Alone films. Um, yes. I think this is work that's been uh, have, been needed for a long time, and, and I appreciate you stepping up to the bait and bringing that for all of us. I've basically built a career out of me having to watch Home Alone, Saved by the Bell, and professional wrestling as a child. <laughs> living the dream. Absolutely living the dream. Somebody reviewed my book and was like, uh, you know, it was good, but as someone who's not really a big Home Alone fan, I was like, <laughs> you have come to the wrong place, my friend. Yeah. Just invite that person to jump off a cliff uh, immediately. <laughs> I actually uh, wrote my master's thesis on uh, the the merits of Daniel Stern via French Stewart oh, um, that's, in that's... Home Alone 4. <laughs> and so... You know, it's it's important work, and as someone that shares that you know that passion, I really appreciate it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. Uh, but man, it's good to have you on, and uh, I'm sure you can share some of your insight um, on the industry as we uh, move forward this convo. Uh, but before we do that, I want to ask you, Rob. You've already mentioned a few. We want to get to know your uh, your movie love a little bit. Um, what are some of the movies that you grew up on uh, that sort of sparked your interest in film and uh, TV and stuff like that? You know, give us a little insight as to your background, uh, movie-wise. Uh, well, growing up, I uh, didn't really do anything on the weekends except go to the video store and rent a bunch of movies and just marathon them all the time. Uh, but I really, probably as a teenager, got really into horror movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's probably, I mean, there's not a lot that comes out that's really good anymore, but... God, I've watched so much horror. Um, and, and I mean, the mainstream stuff's good, too, but a lot of stuff from Europe and Asia and stuff like that are just so, so good. Um, so basically the stuff they find after someone goes on a shooting rampage and they, and they find the, like, chest full of stuff is like, what you're into, is what, you, what you're saying? They're like, the killer's only like on his Facebook for these three movies. And I'm like, oh, I have those. <laughs> all two of them. And I'm like, the other one must be good. <laughs> so before we move on, um, we want to grill you a little bit with some questions that we ask every single guest uh, on the show. All one of them. All one of them so far. <laughs> uh, Rob Fee, have you seen 
a movie called Now You See Me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I And we want to give you the opportunity now. Take as, take as much time as needed, uh, by the way, <laughs> uh, to give us your thoughts on Now You See Me. I don't think I've been pissed off by a movie like that in so long because <laughs> they were like, these amazing magicians, here's how they did their trick. And they would explain it. But then they're like, but they're also wizards. <laughs> Why are they explaining tricks? And then the end of the movie was just so idiotic because, and, and I'm assuming this is everyone's seen it that's going to see this movie because mm-hmm. it's going to yeah, go for it. Go to that. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. It's stupid. Um, at the end, they just jump into a carousel and what <laughs> <laughs> happened? A moving carousel, by the way. That's that's magic in itself. Jumping onto a moving carousel is not, not very easy to do. <laughs> that's the greatest trick of the entire movie. And the fact that Mark Ruffalo was in on it the whole time is just the dumbest twist. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's like at the end of Harry and the Hendersons, if if Harry put off his mask and he was with the police that was trying to <laughs> It makes no sense whatsoever. And off everything that made that made any sense about the movie up until that point. Yeah. Oh man, I'm so glad you you share the love for now. You see me. Yeah. This wasn't this wasn't pre planned or anything. Not at all. Not at all. And that's the beauty of it. We we have a few episodes where we that just comes up, and I'm not kidding. Over the you know hundred or so episodes that we have. Probably 10 hours has been devoted to Now You See Me Talk. So We get way more Twitter love on that than anything else. Like Anybody that emails us or, or tweets us or something, it is always about Now You See Me. It's, it's quite spectacular. No, it just, it, it just infuriates me. Like There's so much planning that they would have had to do and so many people involved, especially in their last big stunt, you know, being displayed on the side of the building. I'm like, who's running video? For this, who's who's your video guy running these graphics on the side of the building that no one's oh, <laughs> talking about? It, it just it makes me so mad. Yeah, that was one of the the main complaints uh, brought on by our our last guest, Jason Davidson. He was like, these productions that these magicians are doing are like multi million dollar productions. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they they require thousands of hours and thousands of people to accomplish. Why don't the FBI just go to these people <laughs> and figure out what the heck is going on? <laughs> well oh, in, in fairness, those guys are union, you know, they can't <laughs> Exactly. That's a good sure. good call. Sure. I never thought of that one. The two things that we talked m- mainly about on this podcast, one is now you see me. And the other is a film uh, called MacGruber. That uh, the three of us just have grown to know and love over the years, and consider it a modern day comedy classic. Do you share the same love for MacGruber? I somehow have not seen it yet. Oh wow! Oh, oh. man, you're gonna have to see it and come back on and talk about it with us. Um, oh, yeah. that's one of those movies that I keep meaning to watch, but then I'll be like, "Oh, American Pickers is on my DVD." <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. But then go over a license plate or something like that instead. Yeah. yeah, well, we can't suggest highly enough. Check yeah. out MacGruber. Uh, it's the for, best 72 minutes of your life. It's, yeah. uh, for fantastic. a comedy writer such as yourself, uh, you'll, you'll find a lot to love there, hopefully. Um, I'm so... Yeah, definitely, definitely check that one out. Um, and one more thing I want to ask you before we uh, jump into movie uh, news talk. Uh, 
you also saw another glorious feature from Summit Pictures this past year called Draft Day, uh, <laughs> which you briefly told me uh, that you had some feelings towards that. So what were your feelings towards Draft Day? Oh, God. Well, it's funny because a lot of it basically came to life um, in yeah. the draft. But it's it's just the only redeeming quality of it because it's completely idiotic. I mean, yeah. it, and I understand they have to make it over the top for a movie because, you know, Jerry Jones sitting there in a locker in the conference room, you know, waiting for a phone to ring isn't really exciting. But it's just so silly. I mean, it, it's there's no other word to describe it but silly. It, it's like if, you know, if, if you had a movie about chess with a dubstep soundtrack <laughs> you know, where they would, like, flip the table over and rap battle. Inside of, like, it's just so silly. That's my next script idea. Thanks. <laughs> so, Rob, I mean, I know you've probably had this moment. Uh, and this is very common from draft day, and you've probably had this moment. Uh, let's say, you, you know, you write a, uh, a pilot and uh, you, they let you run the show on it, and you're, you're starting your first day. It's the biggest day of your career. You're about to start the day on this pilot that you're executive producing. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's pretty common for your mom to come in and, and with your like great-grandfather's ashes and say, look, we have to bury these right now. <laughs> that happens a lot, right? I mean, it's now it's just understood that that's going to happen. You know, I know my mom, I have Paul Bearer from – uh, the WWF carry in acid. <laughs> rest in rest in peace, Paul Bearer. Rest in peace. Uh, Paul Bearer dying a couple years ago or last year is one of those things. You know how sometimes when people die and you're like, "Wow, that's I can't believe that was too soon." Paul Bearer lasted like ten more years than I expected. Like I was like, "He's not dead yet." That guy was massive, morbidly obese. It's going to be weird when the Undertaker dies because his gimmick the entire time is that he's dead. And they're like, Undertaker's passed away. And we're like, yeah, dude, 30 years ago. storyline. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, guys, uh, without further ado, let's talk a little bit of movie news before we talk X-Men. Yes! Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome! Let the filibustering begin. Uh, guys, this movie news is really relative to our film this week. Uh, there has been a huge shakeup at Marvel uh, over the past week, and I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on exactly what has been going on. Uh, what happened and what caused the most news is uh, Edgar Wright, who has been the helmer of the Ant possible Ant-Man movie, uh, has stepped away from the project uh, over all they have said is creative differences. And so I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on why this happened uh, so late in the process. Um, if y'all remember, the Ant-Man project was announced uh, at the exact same time at Comic-Con when the first Iron Man film was announced in 2006. So, uh, you know, when Ant-Man would come out, it was supposed to come out, it would have been the 12th film released since that time. Wow. Uh, so plenty of time to develop the movie, develop the script. And uh, right before principal photography, which is supposed to kick off, you know, over the next course of the next month or so, uh, he steps away from the project. So I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on exactly why you think this happened uh, so late in the process and uh, what the heck is going on at Marvel. Brian, any thoughts here? Yeah, you know, I think 
we were all very obviously we're very excited about Edgar Wright doing a superhero movie because we are we're all big fans. Um, he does just tremendous stuff. I will say that I felt like it was an, a bit of an odd fit um, for a guy who. I mean, with the Cornetto trilogy, I mean, he pretty much just gets to do whatever he wants. There's really, I mean, any everybody has a boss or a supervisor that I'm sure somebody uh, that's financing, you know, might say something here or there. But for the most part, he got to do whatever he wanted. And now he's stepping into a very structured, um, heavily, you know, they, they lean, this is how we do things at Marvel, you know, and Kevin Feige is in charge of all that. Um, so I kind of, I was a little bit concerned about the fit there, and I, I, I kind of feel like that's probably what played out. You've got some sort of creative difference on control over what goes in the film, I would guess, and uh, and right, eg- right exits stage left. So I'm bummed about it because I love Edgar Wright, but I can't say that I'm completely shocked that uh, this came down this way. Yeah, I feel the same way. Rob, as somebody who works uh, in the studio system somewhat, uh, what are your thoughts as to why this went down? I just hope Brett Ratner or Michael Bay gets to take over so it can be a quality <laughs> film. <laughs> That's my hope for right. it. Man, I don't know. I mean, there's there's so much speculation that you could go with, but I mean, sometimes this stuff just falls apart. You know, it could be the littlest thing that just causes it to disintegrate. Who knows? Like I alluded to earlier, that this project has been in development for nearly a decade now. Um, and, and Edgar Wright was talking about that th- he had started thinking about it even before that he had, that Marvel had came to him with the idea. So even probably more than a decade now. And um, it's not like they're just throwing Edgar Wright into this established uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Edgar Wright was a part of creating the universe, you, you would assume, back in 2006. Sure. Like they had envisioned for Ant-Man all along. So it's not like they're just throwing him in here and say, okay, this needs to fit with this universe. It was supposed to be part of the universe in the first place. Um, He has come out and uh, sort of silently responded to uh, what happened. I don't know if you guys follow him on Twitter or what, but he uh, tweeted out a photo um, like this past weekend of just a picture of Buster Keaton uh, holding a Cornetto ice cream. And uh, it's a quite fitting picture for film history nerds out, out there. Uh, you might not be aware of Buster Keaton or who he was, but um, him and Charlie Chaplin were the biggest movie stars back in the silent film era. Uh, pretty much did self-produced all of their own stuff, uh, wrote uh, and shot and everything. And, uh, of course, Charlie Chaplin went on to create United Artists with uh, Mary Pickford and Fairbanks. And uh, meanwhile, Buster Keaton was still doing his own stuff, uh, but eventually... Um, Joseph Schneck, who was the uh, head of MGM at the time, lured uh, Buster Keaton away from his independent um, endeavors and um, eventually signed him to a long contract at MGM where Buster Keaton would eventually go and you know make the rest of his films with MGM. And Buster Keaton said that the biggest mistake of his career was um, joining the studio system. So quite a fitting little um, you know picture for, for in response for Edgar Wright to tweet. Uh, regarding that. And so it seems as if it seems attractive to work in a studio system until you're actually working uh, in a studio system. He, he even said back in the day, like in the initial press conference for Ant-Man, that this is a quote, quote, one of the biggest things I don't want to do is get into the whole Marvel history. The last thing I want to do is try to cram too much in uh, too, too fast. 
Um, and so that's, I think that's the main rumor of what happened here. Uh, there's rumors of rewrites that uh, the heads of Marvel wanted more analogies and references to the Avengers and v- characters in the Avengers, whereas um, Edgar Wright, quote, is another quote, he wants a standalone genre film which would create an all-in for people so you don't have to know 50 years of Avengers history to enjoy the movie. Uh, so to me, that's the issue, is that mm-hmm. uh, he wanted it to be a standalone one-off type thing and uh, to not have it you know, cross over with the Avengers eventually, which in my estimation would be fine. Like, who cares if Ant-Man's in the Avengers, you know? Uh, right. Well, you're you're right, but the thing is, that's not what Marvel's doing. Right. You know, I mean, everything they're doing, their freaking TV show plays into the movies. So everything right. they're doing is going to play into what they're doing over the, the the long term. So to me, that's like, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of feel. I mean, I love Edgar Wright, but I kind of feel like you signed on knowing what this was going to be. You know, sure. that's that's the way that that they're building this thing. Um, you know. Well, and plus, I mean, look at the the box office of all the Marvel movies that have come out in the last few years. It's a huge, mass appeal movie. Mm-hmm. And then the box office draw of Edgar Wright's last few movies, you know what I mean? They're fun movies, but they're not mass appeal, so they're not right. bringing in a ton of money. It's like when people complain about, you know, how the Big Bang Theory or Two and a Half Men are so terrible. Well, yeah, I mean, they're more generic, broad humor but they make a ton of money, you know, so it's one of those things where, I mean, he, he kind of had to have known what he was getting into to start with. Right. You know, it's not like they're going to be like, hey, it's a Marvel movie, but put a Juno soundtrack in there. <laughs> like, yeah. It's going to be a mass appeal movie. So I, I could see why that would cause some problems. But, I mean, he should have known it going into it. Yeah, but on the same, on the same thought, what doesn't – uh, Marvel know what they're getting into by hiring Edgar Wright to do a, to do your movie. That's true too. Uh, this is a guy, like you said, who's known for these cult type movies: Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. Uh, more notably, and more applicable, probably Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, who everybody thought was gonna be a, a giant movie or at least a successful movie, ended up uh, flopping. And um, although it is a cult classic, um, it wasn't a success. So. I think if you're going to hire him to do a movie, let him do it the way he wants to do it. And uh, But like you said, Brian, um, they've invested so much in continuity with this mm-hmm. with this franchise and this um, cinematic universe that they've created. So, I mean, if you're going to do a one-off Marvel movie, Edgar Wright's the one to do it, I would say. Um, but obviously they want Ant-Man to be more heavily influenced uh, or involved in, in what they're doing. So, sure. man, it's depressing because... It's really, it was really exciting. I mean, I was have been excited about this for for a long, long time. So the question remains: Who's going to replace Edgar Wright here? Um, do you guys know of anybody, or would you like to see anybody specific uh, take over the reins? I've been really big on, uh, and this may be a terrible fit, but I think it'd be a cool little experiment uh, where James Wan has been killing it with horror movies that have had a mass appeal. I'd love to see him try a comic book movie, especially something, you know, that's not as well known as Ant-Man and just kind of see what he can do with it. Cause he's proven that he can make money off of his vision too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. his stuff has been very his style, but has had that mass appeal. I think that'd be cool. 
it won't happen, but that'd be cool. Yeah, that's a name I haven't heard brought up, and and I would be interested to see the result of that as well. I want to mention a few names uh, to you guys that are that could possibly uh, take over here. Uh, the most obvious one is Joe Cornish, who is yeah. uh, Edgar Wright's writing partner and um, director of uh, noted sci-fi awesome little movie Attack the Block. Um, the question is, would Edgar Wright feel betrayed um, if Cornish steps up and, and finishes the project? Um, so that's probably the main concern there, but probably the most obvious choice at this point, I would say. Um, other names I've seen um, circling it, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, uh, the 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street uh, guys. Um, they they had previously turned down Ghostbusters 3 this past year. Uh, so obviously um, a blockbuster type big movie is something that um, they are being sought for. So that could be a decent choice. Um, Ruben Fleischer, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He did Zombieland, which was a surprise um, hit a few years back. Uh, not so big movie, which uh, came out a couple of Januarys ago called Gangster Squad. <laughs> mm, he yeah. also did, but he does have the visual visual sensibilities for this type of film, I would say, and the comedic timing and comic relief timing uh, to do something like this. Um, another name possibly that is involved with this type of studio already, Andrew Stanton, I could see maybe taking over because um, he's proven that he can do a big blockbuster movie like he did John Carter. It wasn't a big movie, I realize that, but nobody complained about the visuals or anything like that um, with that movie. So I think uh, with the movie that has more mass appeal than John Carter, um, he would be a decent choice, and he's already involved in that sort of Disney umbrella. And uh, one more name, uh, Clark Gregg, who is obviously very respected in the Marvel universe for his role as Agent Coulson. Um, he is a director as well and had his um, movie come out this a couple weeks ago called Trust Me, which is getting really, really good reviews. And so it's obvious he's obviously somebody that knows the universe and uh, can respect the, uh, of course, the continuity of the universe as well. So there's another name that could possibly, um, in my eyes, uh, do this. Uh, one more thing about Marvel I want to mention before we talk X-Men, guys. Uh, the Netflix series uh, Daredevil was supposed to uh, come out pretty soon. Drew Goddard was the helmer of that, who I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he did a great horror film, Rob, called Cabin in the Woods a few years ago. Oh, yes. That was fantastic. And uh, he's obviously very close with Joss Whedon, who wrote that film. And so that seemed like a natural fit there. But Drew Goddard has left uh, left the Daredevil series. And uh, so the rumor is he's moved on to do Sinister Six, the Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 3 movie or spinoff movie um, about the Sinister Six. So uh, not good, not good movies. Uh, two very talented individuals that have left Marvel. So it just raises a bunch of questions as what the heck is going on there. And uh, it's most confusing because Kevin Feige has always been so adamant about getting people or directors that are creative people and letting them do what they do. You know, uh, we'll see how that works with guardians of the galaxy and James Gunn uh, mm -hmm. later this year, but all indications are pointing to that. James Gunn has done exactly what he wants to do with that film. Uh, so like I said, we'll see what happens here. Um, but you know, it's confusing and ultimately uh, a little bit disappointing that 
some, you know, it's going haywire over there because they've been, they've been at it for what, since, like I said, 2006, pretty much, um, without any uh, real fiasco. So, Mm -hmm. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam, Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know, it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. On that note, guys, speaking of fiascos... Let's talk X-Men, Days of Future Past. So many battles waged over the years. And yet, none of them like this. Are we destined to destroy each other? Or can we change who we are and unite? Is the future truly set? So guys, this is an exciting one. This is a really, really hyped-up movie. Um, to my knowledge, it is the third highest-grossing film of the year, um, oh. be- behind Godzilla, I believe, and um, still Captain America the Winter Soldier, which is um, still, I think, the highest-grossing film of the year. So really hyped-up, really anticipated for X-Men fans. I want to kick off this review by talking to you, Brian Gill, yeah. who is known as the X-Men guru of this podcast. We haven't talked about this uh, beforehand. I haven't read your review or anything, if you have posted that already. So I want, your, I want your raw thoughts on this uh, film right now. Yeah, you know, I went back uh, – <clears throat> excuse me if I sound terrible. I have strep throat right now, so I'm, uh, I'm a little – I'm under the weather. But, uh, yeah, I went back and watched all of the X-Men movies prior to this one and was just uh, – you know, I kind of forget how much I love this universe and this – Besides Star Wars and maybe Lord of the Rings, this really might be my favorite uh, franchise, whether it's 
these movies or, or the standalone movies or even like the, uh, the animated series that was on like Fox kids when we were young, <laughs> I loved that series, dude. And I yeah. actually went and ordered them all on Amazon after I finished my, my X-Men trip this week. Cause I was just like, gosh, this, I, I love this series. This is my, by far my favorite, uh, superhero sort of stuff. Batman is probably my favorite standalone superhero, but as a group, um, I, I, I prefer this group to like the Avengers or any of the DC comics, justice league or, or whatever. Um, so I was very, very excited about this movie going in and it, uh, it did not disappoint me. This was, we've said many times before, this is a super ambitious way to make a, a blockbuster superhero film, the jumping back and forth between different times and blending of two completely different casts. Um, that's not something that's very easily done, and uh, I think I think Brian Singer did a great job with it uh, of bringing that together in a cohesive form. You know, there's it's not a perfect film. There's some some bumps along the way, and I think maybe a few uh, little logic leaps, even in a you know a superhero world. But uh, man, highly enjoyable. I'll watch this many more times, I'm sure, and I think. I really maybe the, the the biggest stroke of genius for me with the whole thing was it. Uh, this is a lot like the, the the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie in that they can go anywhere they want from here. It's kind of like hitting the reset button on the whole franchise. Um, so whatever they want to do with X Men Apocalypse and then whatever comes after that, they can pretty much do it um, without giving spoilers at this point. By the way that they you know conclude the whole thing. So uh, yeah. Very big fan. Really liked it quite a bit. Cool. Uh, Rob Fee, no spoilers. Um, just give us your initial thoughts on this. You just got out of the movie a few hours ago, I believe. So uh, what are your fresh initial thoughts of this movie? Uh, I thought it was great. I was so excited to see Brian Singer was doing this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't want to hang out with him, but as the first two were great. And then... I want to know who said, man, these were so good. Brian Singer nailed them. Let's bring in Brett Ratner, <laughs> director of Rush Hour 2, to take over the X-Men franchise. And, uh, and I thought the, uh, the X, what was the first prequel? Uh, X- Origins, Wolverine. The future past. Uh, no. <laughs> first class. First class. Yeah, whatever it is. Um, I thought, I thought that one was good. I thought it was, it was a good, you know, segue into kind of reinventing the story. Mm-hmm. But man, this was such a great way, like you said, to just kind of, I mean, almost erase everything that happened in the bad ones and just be like, all right, where are we going from here? You know, um, I thought it was fun. I thought everything with uh, Quicksilver was, was really fun. Yeah. And uh, is that a spoiler that he's in it? No, that- no, no, you're good. And uh, it, Maybe you can answer me this. How does Mystique know karate? Like, how is she <laughs> a super fighter? Because in all the movies, you know, which she's the coolest one by far. Like, that's the coolest power by a mile. But she'll always, like, reveal herself in the middle of, like, 20 armed soldiers <laughs> and then start fighting them. And I'm like, you could just, like, excuse yourself and go to the bathroom and then you know, reveal who you are. I want to know how she became a karate expert just by being able to shapeshift. Did you not see the part of the film where she shapeshifts into a Vietnamese guy, Rob? I don't know if yes. you remember that. 
So that's yeah. probably where she learned the uh, martial arts. <laughs> just stuck that for a few years there's a, in the yard. There's a prologue scene that's that. There's a prologue scene on that's only available online, which is just it's. I I can see why they didn't put it in the movie, but it's just Mystique at a community college, um, just taking some basic Taekwondo classes. <laughs> It's six hours of that. It's yeah, it is. It is. I wonder we, why she she shapeshifts into herself, which is right the smallest. She's yeah. a, a, a a feminine. Like if I were going to get in a fight, I would shapeshift into like the huge black guy that uh, you know that bench presses the seven hundred and fifty pounds deadlift, and that's what I would. I would fight as that. I wouldn't fight as you know five three spindly 115 pounds of, of female i don't know that, that part confuses me too yeah that's a good that's a good observation rob uh it really is i appreciate that last shattering i hate this series now thanks yeah <laughs> um as far as i go on initial thoughts um like you alluded to brian hugely entertaining movie overall um yeah i too went back and watched the uh x-men films uh prior to this i didn't watch the origins wolverine uh, film because it's pointless. Um, but I did watch the original three X-Men movies and a lot of me or a, a small part of me was pretty offended by some of the air continuity, uh, issues in, in days of future past. And I know that, um, you know, if you came into this movie and you hadn't seen any of the three X-Men movies, uh, you could probably, um, still understand what's going on. So I, I do understand, uh, understand that but there are so many issues here and so many questions uh from the original trilogy that um that are unanswered um i'll go into specifics um here when we get into spoiler territory but um if you can uh ignore continuity issues uh with this movie you could definitely uh enjoy it i mean entertaining wise this is uh this is avengers level uh entertainment um, it, it was fantastically entertaining. Um, I am, I, I too am glad that Brian Singer is back involved. I was a little worried considering Superman returns and, uh, Jack, the giant slayer, the, the masterpiece he came out a few years ago. Right. Um, but I was, uh, I was under the impression or I really wanted this movie to play on what was established in first class. I thought that that was a perfect way to reboot X-Men with that, and so when they announced X Men: Days of Future Past, I was a uh, little worried that it would be a step back as far as character development. Um, and I was happy to know that the old X Men are only, you know, in it very sparingly. Right. Uh, I thought I was worried that they would be in it way too much, and there would be too much jumping back and forth between past and future. Uh, that didn't happen, so I really appreciated that. Um, but overall, man, really, really enjoyable film. Uh, some of the most memorable sequences I've seen in a summer movie in a long, long time, and specifically the Quicksilver sequence, was just fantastic. And it's most impressive that a lot of it isn't isn't visual effects. Um, there, the majority of that sequence um, is camera tricks, and uh, just playing around with frame rate and stuff like that. Uh, and and that was all Brian Singer's idea to do it that way. And I think he accomplished that scene just flawlessly, really. So I really enjoyed Quicksilver. Uh, a complaint there would be I wish he was in the movie more. Yeah. And um, I think we should go ahead and say spoilers right now because we're going to talk a lot about um, the previous X-Men movies and uh, and stuff like that. So spoilers coming up right now for X-Men Days of Future Past. My question about Quicksilver, you have a guy 
who, whose job is to break Magneto out of prison, which he does um, beautifully. Um, but he establishes in that sequence that he can change the trajectory of bullets and uh, essentially, you know, um, negate any, uh, any person's gunfire. Why not then take Quicksilver with you to Paris, where the sole objective is to change the trajectory of a bullet. <laughs> um, that was, I found that a little bit confusing and underwhelming um, because I, I really enjoyed uh, Evan Peters' take on the character and the way it was written. And I just wish after that sequence that he would have been in the film again, which he is. You know, they flash back to him at his house, but no, that's pretty much it. So I feel like he was a little bit underutilized. Did y'all uh, feel the same way at all? Yeah, I could go that. I, yeah, I mean, he was a fun character. It, you maybe could throw in a little something of like something goes a little bit wrong or he doesn't follow orders or something like that. And that's why they don't bring him along. You know what I mean? Like some small little uh, MacGuffin almost to keep that from happening. And, and because if he shows up uh, in that last, you know, the last act, then he probably takes away most of the drama <laughs> of what happens because of, you know, they, they made him very powerful. Um, but yeah, no, I, he was much more enjoyable than he could have been. That character could be super annoying. And instead he was uh, very high, very entertaining and, and enjoyable. Someone else I thought was very enjoyable who I didn't really expect uh, to really enjoy um, in the first class. And especially this film was Nick Holt's blue beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he is fantastic in this franchise. Uh, he's really come into his own and uh, made that character um, more than what Kelsey Grammer made of it, if that's even possible. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see that one coming. But um, by the way, awesome Kelsey Grammer sighting at the end of this movie. <laughs> didn't think uh, he would ever be involved in X Men again, but there he was, uh, Kelsey Grammer back in Professor X's school. So that was cool. Um, so continuity issues, guys. I want to talk a little bit about um, what they've sort of switched up and negated in the other films. Um, a, a glaring. Uh, fault that a lot of people are talking about last year's uh, the Wolverine movie, which is still a part of this um, rebooted uh, X-Men franchise. At the end of the Wolverine, uh, Wolverine gets his claws chopped off. Post credit sequence comes out uh, in the airport and he sees Magneto and uh, sort of um, acts like he's going to fight him. And the bones pop out of his hand uh, because, you know, he doesn't have his claws cut to Days of Future Past, the future, Wolverine, again, has his regular claws again. Mm. Uh, so how did he get his claws back uh, in the first place? That's an issue. And at, in that same post credit sequence, um, they're like recruiting him for uh, we need your help type situation. Uh, how did they know they needed his help? Because in this movie, they made it seem like it was all you know, spontaneous, the fact that we need to go back into the past and fix this. Like it, it happened uh, at a moment's notice and they just did it. Um, so why, why were they recruiting Wolverine in the first place? Because the airport didn't seem like it was in a dystopian future. I don't know. I wasn't looking out the windows uh, in that airport, but it, it seems like it that uh, scene took place in another alternate uh, universe as well. I took that more less so as we need to send you back into the future and more as uh, we know this war is coming and we're all going to have to join together and fight against this or we're going to die sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. And that's probably the most logical explanation. Uh, another issue with Wolverine's claws. Uh, if you remember in, in origins, Wolverine, uh, striker recruits Wolverine in 1975 in Vietnam, uh, 
Cut no. to this movie. He goes back to 1973, and he's uh, not in Vietnam. Um, so why even put a date on it at that point? You know, uh, it, it's just going to create confusion for people. But I do like how he had the bone claws in Days of Future Past. I wasn't anticipating that really at all. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really, uh, really well done. Um, are there any issues that you guys uh, saw during the movie as people that – no one loved the X-Men series. I was confused when the credits came up and it didn't say Brett Ratner. I think that was a continuity <laughs> issue that I'd like to see all the way through. Rob, right? I took the words out of my mouth. I thought this was Rush Hour 4 the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, this is a bold choice to recast Chris Tucker as Hugh Jackman. <laughs> but you got to admit, Ellen Page made a pretty awesome Jackie Chan. So <laughs> there is that. I couldn't even tell the difference. <laughs> no, I I know exactly what you mean. Um, and continuity things like that are, are are so frustrating to me, but it frustrates me more that ninety nine percent of people don't notice. And if you mention it, they go ah whatever. Yeah. I liked it, um, but yeah, I, I think the worst thing that's happened to the X Men franchise are all of those terrible Wolverine spinoffs and prequels because all they've done is mess up storyline you know timeline stuff for the other movies you know what i mean so yeah i i wish we could he could go back and purge those the same way like we erased history maybe we just go back and erase those as well yeah it's essentially telling the fans by the way don't watch those first three movies because they literally didn't happen right (laughs) right And that, that's not something you want to tell a, a fan base um, that you can miss a movie and still, you know, know exactly what's going on. Like what Marvel is doing on the other side, they're basically like, you need to watch every single episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or you might not right. get anything that's going to happen in The Winter Soldier or something like that. Uh, so it's definitely the kind of polar opposite way to do it. There also weren't enough – there weren't enough real steel illusions in this is either. <laughs> is that what it was called? Yeah, it was called Real Steel. That's for sure. I wanted more Real Steel. I want some more re- Real Steel because that was my favorite Wolverine sp- spinoff. <laughs> Another issue um, with continuity, or just an issue in general. So Kitty Pride can just send people to the to the past now. She yeah. she she walks through walls as her mutant power, and now she can just send people back uh, back to the past. So that that was a little bit confusing. And I've seen some uproar online, like in the comic books, in the Days of Future Past comic, like Kitty Pride is the one who goes back uh, and saves the day. And so there are like feminists like really upset that Kitty Pride wasn't the one to go back, uh, go back to save everyone. But um, she was included in this movie. So it's not like they completely wrote her off. But Hugh Jackman is really the star of this franchise. I mean, yeah. we like to say that. Uh, with this rebooted franchise that it's that's Fassbender and it's McAvoy, but but really Hugh Jackman is the star here. So uh, they they explain it good by Wolverine's like, why not send me because I can heal instantly. Uh, right. I'm not I literally can't die, so send me back. You know, I think that was a cool way to do it too. Jackman's so, the one. I mean, Jackman and Wolverine. That's who. That's what brings in the crowd more than anybody else. And then when you get in the movie, Fassbender is so freaking good in this, yes. this movie and in uh, the, uh, what is it, first class. Um, he owns the screen every time he's, not, he's out there. It's, he's spectacular. But Jackman's like the bait to get you into the movie almost. Yeah, I, I see the same way. Man, freaking Fassbender is, is incredible here. You're right. Um, Gosh. It, I never want to see McKellen as Magneto again, literally, <laughs> as, 
after this, you know, like I loved um, first class. First class is essentially like a Magneto origin story, um, which I, I really enjoyed his performance in that. But man, he has taken it to absolutely another level with this. Uh, he's the perfect uh, choice for Magneto. And I, I just really don't see a need anymore to go back uh, to those characters, the Amy McKellen, Patrick Stewart uh, characters. I, I have a feeling Patrick Stewart will still be involved because uh, he is Professor X more than he's Patrick Stewart now, it seems like. Uh, so he'll probably still be involved, but I don't see a need at this point. Uh, Do you like James McAvoy? Uh, he's fine. I'm not really a, a fan. I don't, don't really dislike him, um, but he, he, I'm very 50-50 on him. I like him in this role a lot, and I don't know that I've ever liked him in anything else. So I, I don't know what that says about me or the or him as an actor. But um, as it, in this role, I, I really enjoy him. No, I agree completely. After Wanted, and after uh, what was the what was he in Chronicles of Narnia? He wasn't quite a uh, centaur. He Mr. Was a Tomnus. Uh, Mr. Tomnus. Yeah. He's like what a half goat man. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasn't a fan of his, but I don't mind him in these. That's why I was curious what you thought, because I'm normally not a fan, but, but here I don't mind him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that too. Um, a lot of Easter eggs in this movie as well that I enjoyed, uh, the notion that, um, that Magneto was responsible for the JFK assassination. I I hated that. That was probably my least, because it just felt, it just felt very cheap to me when you could have very easily just said, um, you could have just as easily said he was fighting for mutant rights behind the scenes rather than make him a mutant. I don't know. That just felt very like Men in Black 3 to me. No, I, I totally agree with the fact making JFK himself a mutant was yeah. was dumb. But, right. Uh, the fact that Magneto was responsible for the assassination, sure. I thought that was a stroke of genius. Sure. Yeah, that was um, cool. It's the same thing with – with getting the X-Men involved in the Cuban Missile Crisis in the in uh, in first right. class, putting it into a historical context and having it somewhat make sense, um, I really enjoy with this rebooted X-Men series. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that Nixon is in this movie, and there is like a hint that he's recording like conversations with mutants. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny too, as yeah. well. Um, a lot of Easter eggs, like I said. Um, there's a hint here that. Quicksilver is Magneto's son. I don't know if you guys caught that. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Um, so I guess he's um, the father of, of Quicksilver and uh, Scarlet Witch. So without we'll la- that to look forward to. and Let's just say Fassbender is definitely the father and not Ian McKellen. <laughs> Scientifically proven. <laughs> when Hugh Jackman goes back into the past and he's butt naked. Um, I don't know what that was about, but I assume it was a reference to Terminator. Uh, oh, I know what it is. Uh, do you know how, you know, we basically said that these movies made you say, hey, you don't have to watch any of the other ones because nothing happens. They're all gone. That's every Terminator movie. <laughs> right. But at the end of every one, there's always like a little, you know, monologue where they're like, we did everything we were supposed to do, but the robots still took over. <laughs> yes. so I was like, Why did I watch this? Nothing. <laughs> you resolved nothing. That's the end of every one of those movies. (laughs) No, exactly. You're right. And that's probably the reason for the illusion here. Um, Halle Berry uh, needs to stop. I don't know why they keep bringing Storm back into this fold. She contributes zero to the original X-Men movies. Uh, When you have somebody that can literally control the weather 
and you don't like use the power effectively, that's that's pretty lame. Uh, in this movie, she has what like three lines maybe, yeah, and she's like. I can't stop him, but I can slow him down. And it literally slows down the Sentinels for like 0.5 seconds. And they, <laughs> they come and just kill everybody and slay everybody. She's um, like, I'll make it a little cloudy so they're sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. an Oscar, guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Five-minute scene with Storm and Billy Bob Thornton was really uncomfortable, too. <laughs> I missed most of that. That was a one. weird Brian Singer choice. <laughs> yeah. 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 I thought it was weird when she was standing there and they were holding a gun onto Wolverine, making him hack into something. Yeah, that was a strange choice, really. She took her top off and she was like, hey, cloudy. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy to think, like, this, this franchise or this movie alone has three Oscar winners, one of which is Jennifer Lawrence, who is no doubt a brilliant actress. The other two, Halle Berry and Anna Paquin. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, who Anna Paquin was supposed to be in this movie for more, I heard, but they literally cut out every single scene she was in, except for one at the very end. Uh, Oscar nominees, Michael Fassbender, Ellen Page, Ian McKellen, Hugh Jackman. Uh, this is just chock full of talent. Uh, Peter Dinklage, we should mention as well. So great. Who was a great addition to this yeah. uh, franchise as well. Um, I really enjoyed the sequence with Magneto lifting up the stadium. Uh, not sure why he did that. Um, maybe to fly. I was thinking he can't fly, but if he's surrounded by a giant metal structure, he mm. could use that to fly or something. Um, he puts it over the White House. Not sure why he did that either, considering the White House is full of like armed, uh, basically armed police officers. So it's like not like he did it to keep um, law enforcement away. Mm. So uh, a little bit confusing as to why he did that. It looked cool. It looked really I cool. I got to say that that's another that's probably the big thing that I was disappointed with on the movie. One of the things that I love about X-Men as compared to Superman or or whatever uh is that the scale of power is not that high. This is like super nerdy stuff, but we talk about in Man of Steel, Superman is not an interesting character because there's literally nothing that can kill him or there's no stakes to what is happening with him because he's too powerful. That to me was a departure from where x-men usually goes and kind of gave like he can fly miles and miles just carrying this huge stadium because there's rebar and the concrete and whatnot um i felt like that was too much for that character and left it in a place where even at the end when spoilers uh when uh mystique takes him down like that didn't feel sufficient enough given what we had just seen him do does that make sense right no i totally agree um one more issue that I had, um, or just confusion, at the end where they fish Wolverine out of the out of the river, the Potomac, and General Stryker is there, and he's like, "We'll take it from here." Uh, and then it's revealed that it's Mystique in in disguise. I don't know what that's about. So I guess Mystique is the one that turns Wolverine into the Wolverine. Uh, so that's a little confusing. Maybe that'll be explained more in Apocalypse um, because, like I said, everything before this is completely negated, and we're, in a, we're now in an alternate universe, basically, an alternate timeline uh, for the rest of the movie. So really kind of a ballsy way to reset this. Um, but like I said, it, it's cool because I didn't want them to rely on the other movies. I'm glad they sort of negated mainly um, 
mainly negated the last stand. Yeah. yeah, especially at the end of the last stand. Spoilers for that as well, where Magneto is shot with the uh, cure, and uh, he's his powers are gone. Um, so I guess he has his powers back now. That's never explained either, and it's never explained um, how Professor X dies in the last stand and uh he's alive now but there is a post-credit sequence where apparently like uh professor x like transfers his consciousness to his identical twin brother yeah (laughs) who is dying (laughs) there's a lot of weird stuff in the x-men comics dude that's like the that's the one comic series that i i've read a little bit of as a as a kid and as a teenager and we talk about uh, continuity errors and whatnot. That whole series is just like one continuity error after another. It's great, but man, they do some really confusing stuff. Yeah. Uh, guys, any more thoughts on X-Men Days of Future Past? Rob, anything, any thoughts? Um, no, I think we much covered it. I, I thought I liked it, but the more I think about it now, uh, it was stupid and terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, this is, this is just an entertaining movie. Um, it really is. It's just it's just fun. Yeah, you you have to suspend your disbelief if you're an X Men like lover, and if you're like obsessed with the comic books and everything, you definitely have to suspend that to enjoy this, maybe, uh, and ignore those. But on a on a like action sequence scale and uh, special effects scale, this movie is quite up there. Um, it's crazy to think we went from Godzilla to this in two weeks' time. Um, the scale and the you know. Um, sophistication of the the special effects was just incredible in both those movies. So um, definitely didn't see this year or this summer kicking off this way um, last year when we looked at what was coming out this uh, this summer. So man, like like we have all said, just extremely enjoyable movie. Uh, if you're listening to it this far, we've probably ruined ninety nine percent of you. If you ninety nine percent of it, if you haven't seen it so far. Um, but I want to see it again. I really, I really enjoyed it, and it, like like Avengers did. Um, as soon as I left the theater, I was like, "Man, that was a fun ride." I just want to, I just want to do that again. Totally. So, uh, man, really good. So, let's go ahead and do grades before we do Rook recommends. Brian, uh, A minus. Uh, yeah, A minus for me as well. Um, Rob, what grade would you give this? It's a perfect grade for an A minus. A minus, Richard. Uh, I'm gonna go A minus as well across the board. Wow. Sweet. Wow. This has never happened. Uh, two weeks in a row of all A's, so so good stuff. All right, guys, let's move on and let's do Weekly Recommends. Weekly Recommends. Okay, guys, I'll kick things off um, for you guys this week. I want to recommend a documentary that I had a chance to watch on Netflix this past week that I had been meaning to see for a while. People had been suggesting it to me, but I never gotten a chance to see it. Uh, we were all huge fans last year of Dave Grohl's Sound City movie, uh, which, you know, was him talking about the Sound City recording studio and the history behind it and all the bands and artists that have recorded there. And uh, him basically, you know, taking the studio board and making it his own. Great documentary. Uh, like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, there's literally nothing bad you can say about, about that movie if you're a music fan. So I want to recommend something in that same vein. Uh, it's a movie documentary called Muscle Shoals, which is about the Muscle Shoals uh, Alabama recording studio, Fame Studios, which was a huge uh, studio back in the uh, 1950s, and it sort of gave birth to R&B and soul music. 
Uh, It's like Sound City. It was just a dumpy place, but for some reason it had this incredible sound and, uh, you know, hit, hit after hit was recorded there. But it's funny because, like, Aretha Franklin recorded a lot of her big stuff there, like Respect and all that. But the house band or the studio band that played on all the tracks was just a bunch of old white dudes. And they had basically created the R&B sound, uh, just a bunch of old white uh, Alabama guys. So, such a great movie. Brian, I warn you, before watching this, it'll make you want to buy every single vinyl record from that time. Uh, it really just makes you appreciate that uh, music and um, that studio. And it's a really, really well done documentary. Probably more documentary-like than the Dave Grohl one. The Dave Grohl one was just basically him recording himself and his friends recording music. Uh, this one's basically more of a story than that one, but highly, highly recommended if you're a music fan, aficionado, and a, uh, mainly an old old music fan, record collector uh, type person. So, uh, Brian, I know you'll like it. Guys, Rob, I know you'll like it as well. Uh, check it out. Muscle Shoals on uh, Netflix is my recommend. Rob, anything you want to recommend this week? Uh, yes. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but one of the most creative, bizarre, and just fantastic uh, web series on YouTube is called Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Okay. I haven't heard of it, no. Um, There's two of them right now. There's two videos that they've done, and they were like two years apart because they took so much, you know, money, planning, uh, and they were doing it, you know, in their free time between jobs. Uh, But it's called Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, and there's two up right now. There's actually a Kickstarter to finance six more episodes. And so if you check them out, watch those, and then go give them some money on Kickstarter so they can make some more of them because they are brilliant. Awesome. Brian, you hear that? I'm excited. Brian's a... Brian's a recent uh, Kickstarter investor, so that'll yeah. pique his interest, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I'm, addi- I'm addicted to Kickstarter right now. Like, I just feel, I feel so much power being like, I'm yeah. going to grant you your wish of money. <laughs> right. So dreams yeah. make true. It's such an interesting feeling. It really is. Like that's the first time I'd ever gone on the site was when this Goonies deck of cards popped up, and uh, <laughs> and I spent like three hours just looking over all these projects, and it's like. Who will I give my money to? I mean, it was, yeah, it was a strange feeling for sure. You started your own too because you have that fun going to get uh, Helen Hunt to come to your next birthday party. So, <laughs> and then we were all happy to donate to that yeah. as well. Yeah. It's really just we want money so that we can order athletes off of Thuzio, which is the best. That, that should be our weekly recommend. Is oh, Rob. Rob, do you know about Thuzio? Have you, I, speaking I was, of web wormholes, have you been on Thuzio? I was typing it into my browser as you're speaking. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's uh okay. it's run by ski barber so. <laughs> and uh you can rent athletes be part of your uh whatever you want really your parties your your conference meeting your pickup basketball game whatever it may be uh it's yeah. it's spectacular let's, let's say you want to have lunch with sam perkins you know <laughs> scant 550 dollars, and you and sam perkins can sit down for a chicken club <laughs> so what kind of what kind of price range are you talking it ra- it varies per oh. athlete they all get to set their own uh their own scale i guess but uh it could be uh it could be in the in the low you know four to five hundred dollar range all the way up to like 10 or 12 depending on on uh, what you what you want um this feels we, like athlete prostitution yes it's it's horrible it's horrible but yeah. uh, we get we get a great kick <laughs> every once in a while. Richard and I will spend an entire day just sending proposals back and forth to each other of what we, who we could, 
who we could get through Thuzio and what we could make them uh, make them do. Uh, oh no, this is horrible! I was excited about this. The closest athlete to me, the only one within fifty miles, is for, <laughs> former Atlanta Falcons quarterback Chris Redman. <laughs> Who wants to charge $850 to go to lunch? Yeah. I mean, well, it's not like these guys made millions of dollars over their career. I mean, they need money, so we got to help them out. All right. Uh, so in related to tie it all together, Brian and I are actually starting a Kickstarter for people to help fund our Thuzio interests. Yes. So we really – we want Rob – we want Rob to go to lunch with Chris Fredman. So let's start a Kickstarter so that he can afford – to have that experience. <laughs> I think that's a great plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, there you go. Richard, recommend for this week. Yeah. I'm going to make things uh, probably uncomfortable here. I'm going to rec- uh, recommend our, our guest book. Uh, we mentioned earlier that I read that a few weeks ago. Uh, it's an ebook online, it's through the iBook store, and I believe Kindle as well. It's on Thought Catalog. Uh, is the pu- little publishing house. And uh, it's a really, really funny. What would you say, Rob? It's probably about three poops worth, three or four poops worth. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can you can get three out of it. I'd I'd say three. Okay, okay, it's a solid and it's go, it's 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 good for that. Um, <laughs> but it's no, it's it's really really funny, especially if you're a child uh, of the '80s and '90s. There's a lot of allusions, like we talked about the home loan and some other things. But there's some really unique uh, pieces in there too that I loved. I love the uh, kind of like if BuzzFeed articles were around in the '90s. That I don't remember what that was called, but that I that had me giggling pretty hard. Oh no! Oh, whatever, no. man. That's cool. I, it's your book. I'm just trying to promote it. No, I, I, just, I just got really distracted knowing that I could go to lunch with Icky Woods for six hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> totally well worth it. Yeah. But no, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check that out finally. Yes, you, sh- you guys both should, and the listeners should as well, because it's definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of humor books out these days, and most of them are terrible. And Rob's is actually really, really funny, and uh, not just kind of a. And it's the best. It's the best of Rob Fee, right? Which is my second great, my second favorite uh, best of, as is you know, next to as you guys know, my best of Uncle Cracker uh, <laughs> album that I keep in my car at all times. <laughs> right, but it's the second. Next Uncle Cracker, it's the second best best of of all time. I love it. Love it. It's hard to top, but I take your word for it. I'll take it. Uh, Brian Gill, (laughs) recommend. Yeah, I'm also going to do a uh, documentary. Uh, I got down a a pretty pretty good – I've been sick all weekend, so I've just been sitting in front of uh, Netflix and – and I watched uh, two or three that I will come up, I'm sure, in, in weeks to come. But one I was super stoked about and I've been really wanting to watch for a long time. And I, I don't know when it hit Netflix. I've been watching for it and I just missed it at some point and it just showed up. Um, it's called Dear Mr. Watterson. It is a documentary about Bill Watterson, the guy who created Calvin and Hobbes. Um, and also kind of just delves into the Funny Pages comic strip uh, history and and you know where where it was and where it's headed to and whatnot um, over the last you know fifty or sixty years, all kind of based around Calvin and Hobbes and it's uh, man it's really cool. I Calvin and Hobbes was a huge part of my my upbringing. I I think I I got most of my early comedic uh, enjoyment out of Calvin and Hobbes books and the comic strip and whatnot. 
So uh, this was a this was a really cool thing, and it's cool to see they they did a great job. There's a lot of great production value as far as like bringing those strips to life on the screen, and um, he interviews a lot of very interesting people. He doesn't ever interview uh, Bill Watterson because he, if you don't know, is just a major. Uh, hermit who doesn't ever make public appearances or talk to anybody or anything like that. So they basically respect that privacy request and uh, didn't try to like pursue him or anything, but they talked to a lot of people who uh, were influenced by his work with Calvin and Hobbes and whatnot. And so you get like a really cool perspective on um, the value of that, of that strip, I guess. Uh, but really cool. It's on Netflix. Again, it's called Dear Mr. Watterson um, and it's definitely worth your time. Cool. Yeah, I, I started to watch it for the first uh, about five minutes, and then I just realized to myself, I never read Calvin and Hobbes. Growing really? Up. So, okay. Um, I'm a little I, older than you guys, so that you know that makes sense. But yeah. man, that was the highlight of my week a lot of times uh, when I was you know six, eight, ten years old. Was, so, uh, so for a Calvin and Hobbes fan, they'll enjoy it. It's the best. Yeah, cool. it's 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 really cool. Definitely. Cool. Good recommend. Well, guys, let me ask you this, Rob Fee, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Rob Feed, and then that will lead you to everywhere else I might be. Cool. You want to promote your little? Uh, I know you're doing sort of a fundraising right now for a charity. You want to promote that real quick? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, I'm raising money for a local women's shelter that homes uh, women from abusive relationships or that have mental disabilities that would otherwise be homeless, they provide permanent housing for them until they're ready to uh, move out on their own. They give them education, training, caseworkers, and everything. And uh, there's a link on my Twitter where you can donate to that. Uh, we did a big push over the weekend and raised, in a couple hours, we already raised $1,000 for them. So nice. hopefully we can keep that going. It's a really great cause. Great. I saw um, Slash was tweeting about it. So, uh, um, yeah. so if you can, uh, hook us up with that slash connection, I think that'd be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> how, do, how did you meet slash? Uh, through the internet. <laughs> I, I was so excited. I got, uh, I mean, I sent it to, to just a bunch of people to see if they would. And, um, Seth Rogen and slash tweeted it. Oh, so wow. I, was, I sent those to my mom. Awesome. So, Look, I'm not wasting my time. Yeah. I'm living my life. Awesome, man. Uh, cool. Definitely something we'll support, and we will link that on our website as well under uh, Weekly Recommends. So, oh, I appreciate it. That's so great. check that out, and uh, please donate to that cause. Uh, Brian, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at bgill 12 or you can find my writing at canbabiesdrinkredbull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden, or you can find me at lunch with WWF Shawn Michaels for only $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison. And as a reminder, you can find all of our episodes online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. And if you like our show, please uh, head over to iTunes and give us a positive review. And if you'd like to contact us, go to our website and click contact. And uh, that form goes straight to us. And on that note, guys, uh, Rob, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a blast. You're welcome back anytime. And um, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. I'm right in the future. I'm writing it out loud. We don't talk about the past. We don't talk about the past. Now. 
writing the future and leaving a key here. Something won't always be missing, you won't always feel empty.